Craig Poyle is a co-owner of Collected Works, a successful independent bookstore in Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to The Bibliophile. Nice to be here. We've spoken prior to turning the machine on of how to run a successful independent bookstore in the face of all sorts of challenges that are relatively new to the business, the internet, chain stores, Mm -hmm. supermarkets, selling books, etc. Perhaps we could start off with what you have done to stay in business. Right. Well, from the very beginning, we, we didn't actually open our store until after the arrival of Big Box consolidating of, uh, of book selling but we don't know any other environment as a as an owner and seller of books when was so it the deal you're doing 1997 okay so there were already super bookstores that had arrived in Ottawa at that point so we've been working in that environment since we've opened so I think we have a very different perspective um, than anyone who had to adapt their business for the new environment in so you're not as bitter then I guess not I guess I am a bit bitter when I look back at the booksellers and how life must have been when you could just put a stack of books on the corner by a, an author and uh, and people would come in and buy them we did a fair amount of research and looked for a neighborhood that um, needed a bookstop that still didn't have a bookstore or where a few bookstores had been before and had failed there was a, a government uh, sponsored report on who buys books and we'd use that and matched up to the demographics of the neighborhood we were moving in. We found that the neighborhood we were going to move into was disproportionately populated by people who tend to buy more books. And which is that? Generally, women. You're looking in the age of 40s or 50s. Uh, we find that people, once they retire, tend to use the library a lot more, it's found. And with a certain household income, a fairly fairly comfortable household income, we could look and we could, we could match the demographics with book buyers. So that made us comfortable about moving into an area that, at that time, um, wasn't known for having destination stores. There was a lot of local shopping going on, a lot of local businesses, but... Um, it gave us a feeling that if if we started the bookstore there, we'd probably be o- we'd probably be okay. We'd probably be able to make a go of it. My partner had been working in books for close to ten years uh, as a manager at a, a small local chain, and for a, a larger local chain before that. And he'd also worked in the coffee service industry. Uh-huh. So this was at the point where, and he did that deliberately. He when he had uh, lost his job because the the small chain called Empire went under. That was a, a remainders. They heavily on remainders, yeah. but and then also selected front list, which okay. Christopher was in charge of ordering and maintaining and discounting in the mall store. Okay. So then, when he saw that uh, Timothy's World Coffee needed um, somebody to manage one of their stores, he took the job and he learned coffee for. Uh, I think it was a couple of years he worked in coffee and uh, worked his way up there. But, of course, what we wanted to do was open a bookstore. And this is when the unholy alliance between caffeine and books was just becoming... uh, Well, no, just for in Canada, it was becoming a a big thing. Of course, it had already been established in the States. Mm -hmm. So, again, we wanted to have the two. um, And right off the bat, Christopher, recently at Book Expo, did do a presentation talking about having a coffee bar in your store. With all the margins being uh, eroded off book sales, it's one way to top it up. The margin on coffee is really high. You make a pot for a dollar fifty, and then you can, you know, sell it at a dollar a cup or a dollar fifty a cup. And it's a a great way to uh, 
to increase your your sales and and your margin overall, and so that was and, that to, was, and to keep uh, customers in the store too for a bit longer, perhaps. Sure, yes, and and um, it, the funny thing is, Christopher, as he pointed out in his presentation, the staff like to say to him that our store, which opens early, we're open at eight in the morning because mm-hmm. of coffee bar. We used to be open earlier. That from from ten o'clock until noon, we're a coffee shop. And then from noon until close, we're a bookstore. And they find that that's the way they like to look at it because they're busy making coffee and selling coffee in the mornings. Then it's more book business once the day rolls on. That's one of the the strategies we had from the beginning. And then we we looked at all the other things. We looked at discounting and um, we've done it. One year we had a special promotion. So we look at discounting. Uh, So specifically, what what have you done that uh, that might be... uh Different. We haven't done anything different. I mean, we just looked for, usually, because we're not dealing in huge volumes, we'd have to look at um, just when uh, publishers have given us a, a certain margin. Like or a, special a special? A special, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that we pass that on to customers okay. and use it as a way of, of promoting. And uh, it, it, it can work. It just has to, it's a lot of work involved. We can't afford to discount a wide range of titles. No. Uh, we had our customer reward plan, which... Um, Many independents felt was overly generous, but seems to work really well, which is any regularly priced book that you buy, uh, including a special order, you get 10% of that value as a credit. The credit builds up. We keep the name and number on file, and then when they have $10 or more in credit, they can spend it on mm-hmm. books. Me personally, those those plans, uh, uh, if I buy a book and someone says, you have $10 in credit, I would immediately scream and run from the store and say I've spent $100 already I better stop now mm. but luckily our customers have not responded that way and they're quite excited like oh I'll get another book because I can get $10 off and you continue to have that uh, that's still in ongoing. place now yeah. Yeah. yeah so but a lot of independents felt it was overly generous a lot of independents looked at what you were doing and thought it was the percentage that we were giving and felt that it was overly generous or well, just how can you sustain it so and that was 10% Ten percent, yeah. yeah. So okay. a lot of places you'll go, either like you get three or four. Mm. Some places, I don't know. It's like buy five paperbacks. They have a card, like a coffee card, and they get the sixth. But we just said right off the top, and it's our way of rewarding people who buy a lot of books and getting them to come to our store. And um, the other thing that you did that I thought was uh, progressive and uh, responsive was to very very quickly sell Canadian books at the same prices that were on the American. Book. Yeah, that wasn't an easy decision. It, it was in response to a few things. It, it turned out to be a canny business move, but more it was that as as the American dollar weakened against the Canadian and the prices printed on the books were you know, far beyond keeping pace or blatantly unfair. You, you basically stopped customers from punching in the face. Well, I heard, yeah, I did hear one story of a book being, not at our store, a book being thrown at a staff. But yeah, it's true. The customers were angry. And uh, my philosophy was is that uh, the, the Canadian retail environment has spent years, and um, large-change booksellers are not the least in, uh, in terms of offending this way, telling people to make their choices based on price. And suddenly, when prices were not jibing with their image of the world and currencies, suddenly retailers came up with these long-winded stories about how supplies work and uh, what it costs to do business in Canada, mm-hmm. on and on and on. We don't have the when, economies of scale and the geography. Right, and, and yet we are inundated with flyers and advertising and everything that's just like the lowest price, the lowest price, mm-hmm. buy it by price. Nobody talked about get service or Value. buy it near you or go out and buy it today or any of the other things that they could provide. 
they just say, you know, price should be how you decide, and we'll help you make that decision. Sorry, uh, they, you say they. they. I mean, re- the retail environment in general. In other words, the, the, I mean, the, the big the chapters, the big chain store. Well, I think it's wider than chapters. I think it's, I think it's everywhere that, that the prices are, are the biggest uh, item in a flyer, and we're just told that that's why we should be buying it from them, is that they've got the lowest, lowest price, price, so they're discounting by this amount. But when you start to say, well, we can't discount them, Books are already a pretty good value, and the industry, uh, both the, the, the booksellers and the publishers, perhaps haven't done a good enough job educating the public as to that fact. Yeah, I don't. I've never thought about the relative value of a book. I yeah. suppose compared to, you know, fast food. I guess, I guess they are. But I, yeah, I haven't. I haven't really looked at it that way. But for us, it was the service. It's just. Um, uh, our store offers many things. First of all, buying in the neighborhood. You can pick it up on your way home. You don't have to wait for it to come online. We also select the books for them, so people don't have to go online and figure out what book they want. They can flip through it. So you select that. What do you mean? Well, we, we're not a superstore. We only have some titles, but we only okay. carry titles we think our customers want to buy. So you've provided a filtering service. Right. Uh, or, or almost a, a recommendation service. Right. Based on what's in your store. Right. And, and many people have said that. So those are the things we've always emphasized, but unfortunately when it came to the um, to the pricing, there just seemed to be no way around it other than to, to save our staff a lot of headaches, to not punish our customers for, for continuing to shop with us. And in the end, we did very well. Um, sales went up dramatically. Hmm. Uh, we got new people coming into the store who hadn't before, who, who on principle thought what we were doing were great, but the main focus of that promotion, which is continuing to this day, was to keep our customers, who we already had, happy. And that was the main thing we did, and we've succeeded. So that's what we did. And then, um, you know, the debates, I mean, the the time and energy on the debates back and forth, and uh, the finger-pointing and the the infighting. This this is all within the industry you're talking about? Within the industry, yeah. Yeah, the publishing is very contentious, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. And especially when there's this kind of keeping in step. And so when one independent suddenly says, well, I'm not... All the other independents were busy explaining, explaining, explaining to their customers why Canadian books cost more than U.S. customers. And suddenly we're like, ah, heck, we'll charge you the U.S. price. That must have ticked a few people it off. It did tick a few people off, yeah. And I can see why. And and some people shrugged and just said, well, they'll be out of business by Christmas. And it didn't happen that way at all. You basically benefited from the extra volume you had smaller margins, but you had greater volume. There were a few. In, there are a few interesting ways of looking at it. One is that we started to buy books differently. So from time to time, we would be ordering them from a U.S. supplier and paying. Is that Ingram? Sometimes Ingram, and then sometimes the Baker and Taylor special orders and things like that, where which are within the allowable limits. If somebody specifically asks us to get a book, we can do it through the states. Publishers were very, very pleased. When we did something, because they were just tired of being told to do something, we actually went ahead and did something. We got a lot of support from the publishers. So, Sorry, well, it, what does that mean exactly? We're well, a lot of people were phoning them up. A lot of booksellers were phoning them up saying, lower the prices now. Re-. In other words, they were looking for the publishers to solve the problem. And then the publishers were pleased that you... The publishers were pleased that we solved it. Bang, just like yeah, that. Yeah. And it was solved. They were pleased because you absorbed the difference, not them. Yes and no, but at the same time, then things would happen like um, Christopher would send reports saying this is how much, by going with the U.S. price, this is what I've absorbed. And then things would happen like we'd get a pack of samples 
mm-hmm. or we'd get a few points. And um, so they were generally supportive. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we took the action, we made the decision, we set things up, and then they could support us to do it. Mm-hmm. So they're not the bad guys then? They're slow moving, I think. Uh, just, I, I forgot to go into the other phenomena is that the publishers did start to bring prices down. They did start to increase or lower the um, our share. How was that? They gave us better margins. They gave us better prices on, on the books we were buying. Mm-hmm. And also, um, because our store sells so many books that are Canadian editions... Yeah, it didn't make any difference. It didn't make any difference on a huge number of the books that we sold. So... Uh, if a book just had a Canadian price on it, it was just sold at the Canadian price. So you'd have to talk to Christopher about the actual numbers, but he was just shocked that in the end our margin didn't go down that much because the increased volume of all different kinds of books, ones that we were that was selling at the U.S. price or the Canadian price, it all just it kind of leveled out. People mm. bought more coffee. There were more people in the store <laughs> buying yeah. coffee. Yeah. More, you know, so it, it, it all worked out. But it was definitely a gambit, and it was a risk. Mm. And... Uh, that time we took the right one. We took the, made the right choice. I'm talking with Craig Poyle, a co-owner of Collected Works, an independent bookstore based in Ottawa. What is it that uh, annoys you the most about publishers? Wow. I, I can always understand the publisher's point of view, but I, I definitely um, publicity and author events have been a problem over the years because... We've had to come up with innovative ways to, to keep in the game of author events because the publishers have found that, first of all, it's, it, it's expensive to send authors out on tour, and especially to Ottawa. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you look back to the heydays uh, where an author of, of the caliber of Mordecai Richler would come in and sit at a table in a store with a huge stack of books and a small glass, well, probably a large glass of scotch, <laughs> and just sign books and people would sell them. And then, you know, the booksellers were just like, you know, looking for handouts, like, who will I get? And it was like a little uh, a little uh, gratuity for your account, and they'd yeah. rotate them around. And so, you know, that was when it was easy. Now, of course, the the expense of, of sending an author around, the authors don't particularly want to go around, yeah. especially when they can do media in one format, and, and the story will be endlessly repeated across a million formats. Uh, they don't need to do as much. I actually talked to Salman Rushdie about it when he was in town. He said even he is now doing a, um, because he, it's so uh, distasteful, the tour he would normally do in four weeks, he now does in six. He asked them to spread it out. Distasteful because uh, it's just rushing. And I remember, yeah. I remember going to see um, Vikram Seth came to town. Who's not the most robust man to begin with. You know, this is a man who writes in bed, right? So, um, and he had been flown from here to there, and he read sitting. You know, he was just so tired of it. And um, you know, we've all heard about that Margaret Atwood, who's you know come up with new technology in order to avoid doing it. So the, the long, the pen, long yeah. pen. Yeah. So. So I understand the pressures that are on publishers, and then, um, you know, I find the publicity departments in Toronto are very, are often very deaf to local concerns. Some of them will listen to their sales reps, and they'll say, okay, Collective Works would like this, they'd like to build something around it, and they work hard to sell our list or whatever, but I think their focus is more on national media. And now, with the um, with the festival mechanisms the festival formats in place that's another way for them to um to offset the cost of touring author they can mm-hmm. send them to a to a writer's festival so that whole model has disappeared but i just find it frustrating that when i'm asking for what seems to be a reasonable request for an old style author reading um that where the focus is promoting and selling the books that it is just generally 
it's gone by the wayside or it's just it's just ignored. But you've done something innovative to to get around that. Speaking of uh, the well, and that came out of years of frustration. And um, someone asked me when we we called the series "Giant Talking Head." We wanted to be you know fun and distinctive. And I I was asked, "How did you think of it?" And And I don't even remember, but I just think years of frustration of of events passing us by. What, what do you mean by that? Well, not passing us by, but we put our name in for an event, or we'd say we'd like to have so and so, and then you know the, the the author would appear somewhere else and in town, but not in town, you. but not with us, or not at all, yeah, or not at all. So I said, well, how can I get around this? And I and I have IT professionals who I work with, and I I said to them, I said, well, video conferencing—that's pretty advanced now. Would I be able to? Would I be able to do a video call to an author? Because then I can I can get everything at an event uh, except the physical author. And uh, oh, they said, oh yeah, you can do that. I said, are you sure? Are you sure you mm-hmm. can do that? Because mm-hmm. it sounded a little wild to me that you could. Uh, and they said, no, no, you just use Skype and it's free. And all they need is a webcam, and you need a webcam, and then everything's fine. So I researched it and. Um, made a few inquiries of publishers. The publishers are very... Now, this is the, the plus on the other plus side of the, the publishers. They know their system is a little... needs tuning or needs mm-hmm. to evolve and, and change. So they're feeling perhaps some guilt at not being more responsive to... I've never had it. No, I've never had it put that way. <laughs> what I have had it is that we're always... They're, they're, they're always look Right now, they're very intensively looking at new th- for new things. Okay. I'll just, I'll just state it outright, is that we'd have the author event, but the author would be appearing in the store via webcam. It would be a video call over the internet yep. where the author could read from their work, interact with the audience, and uh, maybe even do some sort of uh, a signing using internet technology as opposed to having to fly them here and have them take off their shoes and <laughs> get out their passport and everything like that. So, <laughs> And I was told you could do this. And so when I did talk to the publishers, Random House, Sharon Klein at Random House in, in particular, was like, yes, let's do it. We put together a letter asking the authors, give me a list. And I put together a list. And, I, and what I did is I did, again, I did something very different in that usually, especially writers' festivals and, and book tours, somebody's got a new book and they're out to flog their new book. I went and I looked at our sales for the past, I don't know, year or two. And I said, who are the authors that my customers love? As shown in sales. I made the list built on that. And the names were ridiculously big. Such as Julian Barnes. Julian Barnes and Peter Carey were on the list, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they both had new books uh, this past uh, spring. And uh, Julian Barnes said yes straight away, which I guess tipped the scale for Peter Carey. And so um, uh, Randall's was very supportive, set everything up, and uh, I said, that's great, I have two big names. Because to get people out to try this, to, to sit mm-hmm. in a room where the author's head is projected on the wall as they as they read, uh, it would take, well, two things, a, a big name and an author who could overcome the limitations of the, um, of the medium and connect with their audience. And we had, I mean, two absolutely brilliant performers to do that, both with Peter Carey and with Julian Barnes. Um, their, their skills and their, their, um, their magnetism as readers came across... I think um, practically flawlessly, and I don't think it would work with every um, every yeah. kind of reader. So we'll be looking at that very carefully when we do do future ones. Now what about the uh, the possibility of this technology being adopted and used by all sorts of other independent bookstores? I think the big thing is the technology. I work doing contracts as a technical writer, so the technological world. Even though I'm not adept technologically, I'm very comfortable with 
with the possibilities and um uh yeah i think it could uh, uh, that's what i said I, I was when i was talking to sales reps about it i said don't tell anyone we're doing this because the last thing i want is that we announce we're going to do it or, or word gets out and somebody else rushes ahead and does it ahead of us. I'd like to be the first. And uh, this particular rep said, well, that's fine. He said, but if it works, you won't be the only one for long. Um, but even now, I don't I don't hear of anybody else doing it. So I think people have to get used to it. And I think bookstores have to... A lot of bookstores just don't just don't use the, the internet and the tools available to them to the extent they could. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's one thing we've done from the very beginning is we've always jumped ahead technologically as fast as we can. We got books and print online right away. You know, Sorry, some people were still using Fiche or, or CDs and things like that. Like okay. We tried everything that came along, PubStock through Book Manager, which is a, an electronic system which allows us to see if a publisher has a book in stock right there. And mm. we can see their stock at the, at the till. So we've worked as hard which, as we sorry, can. which would enable you then you do, if they don't have it then you quickly go to another and you find you find where that that warehouse well we can tell it. the customer you can expect it here next week as opposed to that's a book that's um, um, import on demand and you're going to be waiting a month or yes like you said we jump to another supplier and say okay we'll order you one copy in this way and be in in two days <laughs> so um so we've always been very aggressive at, about technology and um i think the technology for a giant talking head is only going to get better i don't think it's a replacement for author touring i don't think it, it I should, does I that should really hope not i mean no. again, speaking as a collector yeah i don't think it's a replacement but uh, like i said uh as you pointed out i think it in in your blog is that it's Julian Barnes is not likely to get on a plane and come to Ottawa anytime soon. No, this was also a smaller book. This was, uh, you know, in his publisher's eyes, it's not a new novel. It was a book about death, a spectacular book about death, as good as any novel I've read by him. I'd have to say, it, it was a unique opportunity to talk to him and and to hear from him when there's no way a large tour would be would be mounted around that book. It seems to me that this is a, a way for for a, a small independent bookstore to enable their customers to come into some sort of contact with an author that they probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do so unless they went to a big center. Uh, yeah, definitely. It gets people into my store, yeah. which is I think. I mean, authors are free to go on to YouTube and read their books and people can download it, but... I don't know, too many of them done that. I no. think James Meek has done that, but I haven't seen a huge... I think Augustus Burroughs does it. I'm okay. pretty sure he's doing it. Yeah. The only thing is, is that, again... Uh, this was one of the reasons why I thought of John talking. I said, well, what can I do? I said, why do you go to a, a book reading? And one of them is to be surrounded by other people who love books and authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, on both readings, people afterwards would stay and, and talk about it, and you come into contact with other authors, and it brings people into the store, and that's the important thing, yeah. to, to, to give people a reason to come into the store. So, Giant Talking Heads, is this a, a, a service that you're now offering to no. other bookstores? No, it's, no. It's, it's a pure, I say it's like a, it's a straw and bubblegum kind of technology. Okay. It's, you know, anybody could do it in, in their home, anybody could. And that, that was also the appeal, is that it was just something that was just very inexpensive. Once yeah. the initial investment was there, I went, you know, to use Dotto, I got a used LCD projector, I... Uh, you know, hmm. even my my laptop really isn't as good as it should be for doing it. But um, we just put hmm. it all together. The publishers have stuff sitting around their conference room that they can use. Great. And um, yeah, so that's the idea. The idea is that that we could set something up in very short time with very little overhead and and just do it. Just do it for the heck of it. Just because it's attractive and interesting to do. Yeah. And and you took the 
the initiative to uh, to, to contact uh, publishers and uh, and authors and mm-hmm. pick up the phone. This, this seems to be a pretty important piece of advice to independent bookstore owners to use technology in a way that can bring their customers closer to the authors they love. Yeah, I think it was a lot of work, and um, I would have liked to have had more people yeah. in, the, in, in the store for the event. And uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that once we've done a few events and people realize that there's something to be had from them, I, I can't, I don't have anybody lined up right now, but the people I'm asking for should be sure draws. Like, there should be sure draws, and I'm assured by Sharon at Random House that, you know, the authors got an extra boost to their profile, uh, you know, that the books would sort of come and go, and, um, you know, it, it's good for the authors, too, because it gives them one more way, and I, I think Julian Barnes probably just, you know, took a cab to the Random House offices and took a cab back, and it, it took him an hour and a half to, you know, suddenly have his name in uh, newspapers and yes. on radio in Canada, and uh, Peter Carey didn't even leave his his oh, office. Yeah. You know, that, that that's the sort of thing that... Um, that for the amount of resources that go into it, it's um, I think the payoffs is, is pretty good. So yeah. we'll see. I'd like to have I'd like to have a bigger store someday where I could set things up for more people. I'd like to see more people come, but we'll just keep trying them. And I think uh, I think eventually people will. I mean, I had um, I had I would say one of the one of the better events of my life in my experience with Julian Barnes. It was mm-hmm. like uh, it was like sitting on his lap. And he was genial and great, and I he felt was. we um, we even got more out of it. Things that wouldn't happen in a normal one, where we had everybody at the end when he was signing, we just get them to sign the book plates. So we're not shipping a transatlantic books transatlantically uh, for signing them. People could have their books and read them, and then put a book plate in after. But everybody was in on the the signing process, so we all had to. We all got to spend a bit more time with him that way. Directly, yeah. Directly. And, it was, and uh, well, you would with the signing, but yeah, just it just became kind of a, a fun group. It activity. was fun, yeah. It was there was some uh, some good jokes exchanged. And uh, speaking of um, a bigger store, uh, currently you have a you have a room in the back that uh, now I've actually taken some workshops. Uh, okay. In there mm-hmm. with uh, Rick Taylor, right? Yes. Okay. So that's another. It's not necessarily hugely innovative, but it's a it's a writing workshop that you work together with an instructor to bring them in, and they have ten or fifteen people uh, around the table in your store talking about books. Right. Sometimes during during the busier seasons, three to four nights a week are taken mm-hmm. up with different workshops. If the if the instructor's charging a fee, we charge a nominal rental fee. It's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not reflective of anything. And I mean, when our bookstore first opened, we just had this big empty room at the back. Mm-hmm. We couldn't even fill it with books because we just we weren't that big a store. Um, and we use it for we put art up on the walls and then rent it out for readings. And now everybody's just sort of shoehorned in with the kids' books. Yeah. But definitely, yeah. And um, you know that keeps your name in people's faces all the time. Yeah. And they get good word of mouth those writing workshops. The people we work with, everybody's very happy with the workshops and everything. But yeah, there, it has nothing to do with us seeking out certain people for workshops. No. Now I'm hoping there's been some talk about this, but I'm hoping to actually bring the two activities together, and I might actually be offering it uh, maybe this fall or at least maybe in the in the winter is um, poetry workshops using Giant Talking Head, that a poet of. Uh, some, some repute yeah. will hold a couple of workshops for pay, but then she'll communicate with the students 
using the giant talking head technology. So she'll interact with them. And uh, so we might try and do that as one more way to uh, to leverage the technology that, that we have. And again, the idea is just getting people in the store. Get people in the store and then, you know, giving people a reason to talk about the store and for us to have our name in listings and, and mentioned. I've got a number of people signing up for a, for, for a workshop with an author and she's written a particular book, then you could, you know, as part of the course, they'd have to purchase the book through you. Yeah, you'd say, this is your cost, and it includes a book. Yeah. That's yeah. probably what we would do. Steve Brockwell, who's done um, workshops, what he did is he he had a, a reading list that he wanted his... Uh, students. Students, thank you, <laughs> to explore. And instead of paying rent, what he did is he bought a set amount of gift certificates from us. We ordered in the books. And then they were directed, these are some books you might want to buy with that gift certificate. Mm-hmm. So that worked out well. Yeah, I'd like to see that instead of rent, that, yeah, that the book being included. Or over and above it. the rent that you're able to sell books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been pretty good that way. Yeah. be surprised how many people are taking workshops because they want to be read but not to read. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's more <laughs> writers than readers out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, um, that, that, I think that was initially was a bit of a disappointment. But, you know, if we can sell them a cookie and a coffee, we'll live with that. Yeah. I'm speaking with Craig Poyle, co-owner of Collected Works, bookstore independent in Ottawa. What do you see coming? What what other ideas are bubbling away? Isn't, isn't that enough? <laughs> Haven't that, I done enough? You've done a lot, but, uh, you know. <laughs> a lot of things we see coming would, would be more prosaic things, a bigger store that would allow us to expand into to magazines and more sidelines, which, you know, are sort of a necessary evil, but... Um, but that would provide a larger margin and, again, help... Yeah, well, you know, if someone's in for a book, we can, you know, sell them a bookmark or a book light, and we try, and we try and be careful about it, because the one thing we're very sensitive to is that if our customers get a perception that the books on the shelves, which are already mightily squeezed... Uh, given what's there, if the books on the shelves are losing ground to sidelines, then I think we could we could suffer a real a real backlash from our customers. So we're making sure we always make sure that the books come first, yeah. and then if we can throw something in, that, then we do that. But those are the more you know, and those things are uh, things that other stores have already done because they have the the place to put other to to place sidelines and, and to put other products. Mm-hmm. So. What do I see? I don't know. Print on demand is, you know, an interesting idea. Um, so I just heard Blackwell's is going to be starting up on print on demand. Mm-hmm. Basically, what it is, it's you, you bring in a machine into right. the store, mm-hmm. so that uh, that instead of it being warehoused somewhere else, this maybe I could get, just paint the scenario. I mean, I guess the, the, the easiest analogy is something like iTunes, mm. where you go in and select the artist you're interested in, you pick the album, you download it. Print-on-demand would mean that you would go in, and I don't know, the, uh, the crazy number of titles, I can't remember what it is, that, you know, numbering in the tens of thousands. Mm. You pick your title, and then you, you pay for it, and then the, it's, it's printed Print and bound right there for you to take away from... In whichever format you... You could also, you, you could also do audio oh, books. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. You could do... Uh, Something on DVD or CD, and maybe or, I never thought e-book. like large print. If somebody needs to have it in a large print format, then it would be printed out right there. And yeah, yeah, eBooks is are very tricky because of the encryption and, and the electronic devices, and 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 you need a, a very specific setup. And so there are very few people selling uh, eBooks by download around. Uh, North America, it's all sort of concentrated in the experts because of the way it's done. 
So I don't know. I just noticed that eMusic, which specializes in music, is having book downloads now too as well. But I mm. don't know how they do it. I don't know whether I assume they're MP3s. That's I mean that's to me is fascinating. And again, it would be it would mean something where a, a bricks and mortar store would have an advantage over the over the online resellers that you can go out that day and get the book you want mm-hmm. because you can you can do a print on demand book. And I think that speaks to just in, in closing here that speaks to the importance of of your establishing your location as a place for people who are interested in the books to to go to regularly because what'll happen I think is the actual printed product on the shelves will disappear and it'll be more like a place to go and have a look at catalogs mm-hmm. or, uh, or as you say it's a, you can look on you can look online in in your home but if you want it that day instead of waiting for it to be mailed you need to go to your bookstore so they can print it off for you mm, yeah i don't know how how long it'd be the, the, the physical book just does its job so well and mm. that's the big problem that, that you're up against and that people are used to that people are used to but you still be getting that with the print on demand you just right. you just wouldn't be having to store it in your on your shelves right and now there's still this thing where people like to to leaf through a book and in the end Mm-hmm. And especially the way the books are being promoted now, there's still, you know, we have a, a store full of hundreds and hundreds of titles and all sorts of new things. But in the end, what's being sold is all out on the table and we sell a lot of the same books over and over again. So I don't know whether the product itself will disappear. It's just, it's kind of handy because, you know, yeah, you're on a plane flight and you could read your ebook, but if you, you know, if your batteries run out, you've got... Mm. It's just handier to have the book that you're reading your book and you just pick it up anytime. So th- my, my line has always been the books will always continue to the things that books do well. The things that books have never done well, things like dictionaries that run out of run out of current terms that need yeah. to be updated or items that are only good for a year or those sorts of things that, that books never really did very well that was always cumbersome and, and difficult those will definitely be the first things to fall by the wayside anyway with the machines I mean it seems to me that a bookstore if you purchase a, a, a print on demand machine to you'd be able to provide them with the physical book without having to carry all of these huge number of titles you can you can provide them with huge selection and give them the physical book that that you know in 10 minutes yeah i guess i guess for me that i'd have to see how it works and i know that i could make use of it because because of the way i read i mean i said when the superstores first opened i laughed because i said well i'm their ideal customer because I go in and I know what to look for. I know where I'm going to look for it. And I've been reading about books and I've seen the catalogs and I know everything else. But anyone else, they're going to be stuck staring at what's on the end aisle and saying, oh, this is interesting. And that's the very spot that the publishers paid for the book Mm -hmm. to be seen, right? Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I just, I think there's still a certain amount of interaction that has to take place before people can pick out what book they want. And I don't know if, I just don't know whether it's a catalog catalog or something like that. And especially... When I'm, um, from time to time, I am buying books from a catalog with a sales rep across the table from me, and usually what they say that makes me choose whether to buy the book or not, or the number that I used to buy the book, is not on the printed page, mm-hmm. right? right? So, uh, yeah, I, I think the print-on-demand will have a, like you said, it would be a location where you go, where it would be sort of you, you, your specialty, um, you have a specialty, and that is I can get you any book that uh, that you can think of, and and you know, somebody walks in, and I remember being a kid, and I read this book called whatever, and and like sure, we, you can we print can it off right there. But yeah. most people are coming in like, hmm, what do I want to yeah. read next? Mm-hmm. 
They like know. to browse. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to take the advice of some nut bar on Amazon who's put up a, you know, a five-star <laughs> review. It, it'll all evolve. And, um, yeah, and, and definitely we plan to um, do everything we can to evolve along with it. And you're excited and, and uh, optimistic about the future? Oh, as much as I've ever have been. I'm not one to look for for optimism, but um, I'm always uh, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised by, by how well things have gone. Terrific. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us. Okay. Speaking with uh, Craig Poyle, who's a co-owner of Collected Works, a successful and lovely... <laughs> is lovely good? <laughs> sure, sure. Pleasant. <laughs> Pleasant, lovely. Fun, fun. Uh, easy on the eyes <laughs> bookstore in Ottawa. Thanks again. You're welcome.